Welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed, and I'm the Director of Biblical Education here at the Tree. And I just wanted to uh, thank you for joining us again here today. We have a great podcast in store for you. We've got uh, Pastor Michael and Pastor Brandon here today, and we've got, we've got a really fun conversation to start off. And then we get into one of the more um, difficult parts of Deuteronomy today, uh, just talking about kind of God's views on war uh, as, as per the nation of Israel and uh, kind of the implications that we can pull from passages uh, that talk about very cultural, very specific uh, things to the nation of Israel. So please join us as we have this conversation about Deuteronomy chapter 20. Another night of worship is upon us. We love the opportunity to spend dedicated time in God's presence, and we love spending that time with our church family. Join us for the chapel on May 18th at 7 p.m. Childcare is available, but you do need to register. You can do so on the app. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Reed. I'm the Director of Biblical Education. Today, I am joined by Pastor Brandon Lightnecker and Pastor Michael Giacomoni. How are we doing today, guys? Doing good, man. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, um, it's been the rhythm over the last few weeks, and, and I, I like this kind of rhythm, but we, we take some time to ask just some fun questions, some kind of get-to-know-you questions um, to start the podcast. Can we so, start by talking about why you're dressed way better than us right now? Uh, <laughs> you guys are twins, yeah. and I took it up a notch. Yeah, so. for, yeah, for those of you who are watching me, or not watching, you're just listening, me and Brandon are wearing uh, a new tree shirt shirt that we have, and Chris is dressed like he going <laughs> to go officiate a wedding. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I'm in jeans, so never officiated a wedding in jeans before. Well, you're missing out. Um, but no, just had a lot of meetings today. So sure, yeah. Just, okay, whatever. Just, Is that a double Windsor knot or I a single felt, Windsor knot? I have no idea. <laughs> Keeping it classy. All right, sorry, sorry. What's just, your question? My, my bad. Just felt fancy today, so... <laughs> All right, so on to the first question. Uh, what is the most ridiculous thing you believed as a child? Oh Michael, gosh. we'll start with you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Your awesome. life is crazy. Awesome. Um, yeah, I believed. Um, it's, okay, here's what's embarrassing. I still believe it. <laughs> so, like, I, I, that's kind of what. Okay, all right. So, I believed wholeheartedly, and I still do to this day. Brandon, I think you can echo me on this. <laughs> I believe that not only is Bigfoot real, <laughs> I really believe that Bigfoot, Bigfoot's real. I think I've seen him. I'll never forget it. Um, when I was a kid, I was, like, obsessed with, like, reading books and watching documentaries and watching, like, do you guys ever watch, like, the Sci-Fi Channel or something like yeah. that? Yeah, oh, sure. Where I feel like throughout my lifetime, it's gotten progressively more and more insane. Yeah, that was my all-time favorite. If there's a big, Bigfoot special on, you better believe I was there. Still believe it to this day. There's a lot of people that I love and respect and believe that they – <laughs> they, they, like they would not lie to me. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That that attest that Bigfoot is real and that they've seen him. I and, think so. And that, that that makes it hard for me to go. Yeah, that's not a thing. But yeah. Or we're all just in on it. I don't know. Yeah, I've had a real experience with it. So if you want to know, <laughs> ask me sometime for sure. Um, for me, I can't think of anything specific, but I would say some of the crazy things that. Um, you often think as children, it's like that there's the monster in your bed. So if you like keep the, your feet out from the blankets, like that something's going to jump up and grab it, you know, mm -hmm. those types yeah. of things. But I can't think of anything too ridiculous that, that was really specific to me. But. Oh, man. Do you want to hear a story about my dad that I just told yesterday? <laughs> Speaking of that. Of course. When I, I had this fear that I was going to walk to the car. Like I, I was really young. I was probably under 10 years old. I was afraid I was going to walk to the car and there's going to be somebody hiding out underneath it who would like reach out and grab me, you know, something like that. And I would always wait and look under the car, and my, and my dad would be like, all right, dude, get in the car. You know? And I just <laughs> asked him once. This is super true. I asked him once. I was like, well, 
like, are you just not afraid of anything? And he got really serious. My dad's a funny guy. He didn't laugh. He just goes, I've realized that I'm the scariest thing out here. <laughs> and at that point, I was very terrified of my dad. I still am to this day. I think about that, him saying that. And I'm like, yep, not messing with that guy. Okay. <laughs> I would say that for me, um, I was terrified of people taking me. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there was... D- Okay, so there was this thing that I would do if I was out of my grandma's house, I did it at my mom and dad's house too. Like if we were out outside where cars could see, and this was stupefying because we lived on a main road, but it was like if, if there was a car going by and they could see, I would always run up to the house and run up onto the porch. Like no nobody ever tried to <laughs> kidnap me. Nobody ever tried yeah, to yeah. like, and I had no reason, we lived in a like, country it was it wasn't like like a city or anything like that not that cities are are more dangerous than country but sure like i had no reason to believe that that anybody was ever going to kidnap me take me or whatever but every car that drove by particularly out of my grandma's house every car that drove by i was like they're going to kidnap me i need to get to the porch i need to get the porch to get by the house like (laughs) so it was like this constant sprint back to the porch at my grandma's house which is totally speaking of my dad i told him something similar when i was a kid i was afraid of getting kidnapped and he just this is what he said he said don't flatter yourself (laughs) (laughs) they send you back bro you talk too much (laughs) oh now i can think of something specific do you remember like the the, uh myth that like if you swallowed gum it would be in your stomach for like seven years i believe that even through adulthood like i remember specifically being like if i swallow this i'm never gonna get rid of it right there's just like a giant ball of gum in my stomach <laughs> stupid stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> All right. Now on to the next question. <laughs> if, if there were no hindrances like money, season of life, time, etc., what type of side business would you launch? Um, you know, for me, I love music. I love. I was actually just talking about this recently with somebody too. I love playing guitar and singing songs. What I like more than that is helping people make music. So if you don't know what a music producer is, for those of you that's like not your space or if you don't care, I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, <laughs> a music producer is like a director of a movie. So oftentimes the director won't act in the movie. In fact, usually they won't. or they, And a lot of times they won't write it either, but they decide what it looks like. And they you know, give direction to the actors and the lighting and the crews and the cinematographers. That's their job. I think that would be the coolest thing is to help people produce their music and make, make their stuff happen, You know if that makes sense. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, one time I was researching for a vacation, trying to find a place to stay, and there happened to be a link to this uh, business that people would be trained to take other individuals out trail running, like take them on adventures. And that's all they would do is just lead that trail run or lead that adventure. You stole mine. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I think that would just be a blast, you know what I mean? Meet new people or whatever, then getting to take them out on trails that you – you know, we're familiar with and telling them stories or whatever. So, or working on a dude ranch. I think a dude ranch would be sweet. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, you know, outside of that, I I would, I would design graphics. Like Mm. uh, I love, I I love graphic design. I love art. I love like that kind of stuff. So, um, and, and I got to do that for a long time. So I I really enjoy doing that. And I think I can make a legit side hustle out of that. I think. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, do you guys want to tell people the time that you took me out, that you two took me out on a, on a trail hike, how that went? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. We took, we, wait, wait. I think we went for one. Go ahead. This happened like say, six years ago. This first is a long time ago. Of, first of all, we picked the hottest That's day in say, July. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll let you go and finish the story. Yeah. But. And I don't, I don't know if you had had any experience or maybe this was your first kind of big experience. No, never. I'd went camping. Yeah. So like yeah. you said, like you guys both talked about, again, this is a long time ago. Like how much you love the outdoors. I'm like, oh, me too. Love the outdoors. Yeah. And you're like, well, have you ever went backpacking? I'm like, no, but I camp a lot, and I feel like just walking there isn't different. 
probably the same. Um, yeah, it got a little, got a little spicy. Yeah, <laughs> a little crazy. crazy. And you could tell the Elijah portion of it. Uh, oh Chris's yeah, son yeah, yeah. yeah Pastor Chris's son Elijah was there, and I don't even know how old he was. He'd been like nine years old or something like that. But I got really sick. I got like heat stroke, and yeah. I, I just sorry, it's kind of gross. I started like <laughs> no, throwing up a whole lot, <laughs> like walking, and everyone felt kind of bad. And Elijah just stuck it out with me, and I was trying to be cool for you know for him, and you know I didn't want to freak him out. But I'm legitimately like every thirty. 30 feet like growing up <laughs> and Elijah's following me just asked me like hey who do you think would win in a fight the Hulk or Spider-Man and I'm like probably <laughs> <laughs> <Bobby> Spider-Man <laughs> so it sounds like you guys have a really successful business I think yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I just remember at one point in time when you actually reached base camp that you laid down and then your legs just started cramping oh it was like awful crazy. it was terrible I think I passed out I just yeah. came to like an hour later and you set up my tent you were so nice <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, but, good stuff. And if any of you know who Elijah is, Elijah has always had a, a weird thing with like getting sick and whatnot, yeah. and he worries about people getting sick. So uh, I want you to know how much he loves you and cares about you. The fact that he hung that out <laughs> yeah, and he he tried did. to get your mind off. Walked, of it. He with, tried me, to, walked with me the whole time. He's such a nice time. kid, man. Yeah, man. He so, still is. But yeah. yeah, he's a good kid. So, all right. Uh, one last question, and then we'll get on to our Bible study today. Uh, describe a tattoo story. We all three have them, so <laughs> let's uh, let's hear. It. I've got I've got a couple good ones, but I'll let you guys go first. Yeah, for me, I always try and think through uh, something significant before I get one. I, I you know there are some times where I'm like it'd be fun just to get like one that's crazy, mm -hmm. you know, just for the sake of getting it. But a lot of mine have some type of spiritual implication to it, and so. Um, the one on my arm was a passage in Psalms, actually. It was that time and a season when I was just focusing on the fact that I was so broken by God. And uh, the passage in Psalm talks about being the, the fact that your soul clings to the dust. You know, this idea that you're, you've born a man and you're made a creation out of dust or whatever. And everything in me just is driven towards that. But then it says afterwards, give me life according to your word. Mm. And I just, that was so powerful to me to be able to read that in that season because I was struggling. And so the thought that God can bring life into me by, by giving Super. me word, that's his awesome. word. And so that's kind of what all that represents, but very nice. cool. Yeah. yeah. For me. Yeah. I've got, I've got quite a few tattoos and they all have, I think they all have pretty meaningful things to me, whether it be most of it being like, you know, spiritually based, um, I'll tell I've got a funny one where that I didn't get. <clears throat> um, I was like 16 years old and I had my dad sold. I wanted to get Han Solo's blaster tattooed on my arm nice. uh, with the words Han shot first. Only like real Star Wars nerds will understand that reference. If you don't care, it doesn't matter. It's stupid. <laughs> it's so dumb. And I had my dad in. He's like, yeah, I'll sign it. Yeah, I, yeah, you can do it. And then the day of my mom was like, no. Sorry, man, I gotta, I'm not gonna let you do it. I'm not, Cause you need both, I think Guardians to sign or whatever it was. Or maybe she just told my dad no. But I remember I was so devastated, and now I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> Mom, thanks for clutching up. <laughs> I'm going to a Star Wars blaster on my arm forever. Oh my. That being said, it doesn't. I, I'm still my kid, and I think it's still pretty cool. But, you know, probably not wise for time a 16 year old though. <laughs> time has not moved on past that one then. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, some call it timeless. You know, yeah. <laughs> Um, my very first one I got at like a tattoo party. It was at a uh, someone's wow. house. Never so, heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Apparently, that's a thing. So actually, it was uh, some people I worked with. They their nephew worked at the tattoo parlor in Columbus. Oh, cool. And so he came and he came to this house and he was just doing them for just for a couple of different people. So uh, I, I've never had my tattoos done in a in a tattoo shop yeah, like that's I, interesting. my first one was done at, at someone's house the second one was done actually my other two were done at the old church building yeah um yes yeah, uh, steve 
did those for part of the art walk, like live live art di- display. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, it was pretty I, cool. I got my first one done on a beanbag chair in downtown Akron. <laughs> Didn't know that before I got there. <laughs> I thought it was like a legit place in somebody's house. Oh yeah, yeah, it was good. Turned out okay. I had to get it redone at one point, but <laughs> it worked out fine. Yikes. No, today we are uh, going to be talking about tattoos and how they're forbidden <laughs> in the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, so today we're going to be talking in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we are going to be looking at uh, the rules that God and, and that Moses had, God had spoken through Moses, rules about um, war and how Israel was to fight their campaigns, how they were to engage in war, how they were to um, how they were really to conduct in, in recruiting and, and dealing with um, the fact that they were going to be a nation and now they needed to both protect themselves, but they also needed to conquer and take the land that God was leading them into. It wasn't, it was theirs, but it wasn't um, occupied by them. It was occupied by others. And so right. um, we've talked a little bit about this in the past on the Bible study. I mean, way back when we first started Deuteronomy, we talked about a couple different things today. Uh, or uh, that we're going to talk about today we, we've already talked about it on those uh, on those uh, earlier podcasts but we're going to re- kind of revisit the ideas today and we're going to kind of look at uh what god has to say about war and and um here's my kind of uh, i'm going to kind of give a, a like a, a warning it, this is a complicated and and it can be a touchy topic um some of the things that we're going to talk about today are we're not going to get graphic we're not going to be crude about anything like that but um, the, the the ideas that we talk about today are controversial in some ways in in our culture. They're controversial in um, even in in how to read them and how to understand them. Right. So I just want to kind of give preface on that. Um, and and we believe that God is true. That, that He's the same God as He was in the Old Testament as He is as He manifests Himself in Jesus. And mm-hmm. and so um, and yet there's things that we we have to read that we're going to read today, and we're gonna mm-hmm. that's going to cause questions and. That, and that's okay. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. It's good for us to process through these things. And so, um, if it doesn't cause you questions and you're just okay with it, I've got uh, I've got some questions for you. <laughs> um, I'm just going to be 100 percent honest. Yeah. Uh, and we, yeah, yeah, we need to have a meeting. <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't bother you, like, yeah, sure. Um, I've got questions, but right, yeah. um, so um, so there's just some nuance and some tension that yeah. we've got to deal with in today's passages. So just heads up on that. So let's jump into verse one, and then we're going to read through verse four, and then, then we'll talk about it a little bit here. So when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to battle, uh, draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people. And shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread in them, dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. So Moses, again, is talking to him prior to going across the Jordan, to going mm-hmm. into and really beginning this process of taking the battle. And so you got to imagine, like this is a this is a nation who they fought a few battles up to this point, but they've really not had a standing army. They've really not had um, really a military background because they've been slaves for so long, right. um, and and they've been a wandering people for forty years now. And and Moses is trying to get them prepared. And and this is, I think this is a passage that we see more so in Joshua, like that mm-hmm. first opening passage or that opening chapter of Joshua. Yeah. Um, why do you think um, 
I'll ask it this way, and, and Brandon, I'll go to you first. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that God's God's first words to them as, as you get ready to go into the promised land, what I want you to remember is don't be afraid. Because that is a, an overwhelming experience potentially for them in those moments. And so they're facing something, as we all do in faith at times, that is beyond them, that is beyond sure. their understanding, beyond their capabilities even. I mean, you spoke so well to it, the idea that they are not a military nation, um, God was gracious to them and delivered them out of a, uh, you know, the Egyptian power, one of the greatest powers of that time. So they experienced that portion of it. But that, like you said, was God orchestrating the majority of those things. They had to follow and, and go that direction. So now they're asked to do a very physical act, right. maybe even one that they weren't physically prepared for mm-hmm. at that point in time. Not to say that over time, as they continue to conquer these nations, they wouldn't get I guess more proficient at it, 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 for lack of a better term. Right. But that initial thing was them going in and feeling probably extremely underprepared, and naturally that's going to be your initial emotion is I'm terrified. You know, I don't know what that nation is going to look like, or yeah. you know, and, and if you take a like an empathetic approach to it, I can see why it would be intimidating. You know, right. going into that environment, but 100%. Right. Yeah. Because in theory, like on paper, they should be terrified. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's yeah. no. They have no reason to walk into that with confidence outside of the fact that some of them have seen God do cool things. Right. Like that would be the only context is that um, some of them are younger, so they probably haven't at, the, haven't at this point. You know, you'd have to look at like a timeline of every miracle that God did a provision when they were still wandering. But for the most part, on paper, they're not qualified to do, to accomplish what is in front of them. So God, that's the opening remark of like, hey, I know this is ridiculous, you know, <laughs> but you have to have faith that God is going to, provide you with every tool and resource necessary to accomplish what he put in front of you. Well, it does. It requires, like, I think you both touched on really important principles, dependence yeah. mm-hmm. and, and faith. And so, like, um, I, I'm thinking back to, like, even why they wandered the desert for 40 years was because when they came to this point right. the first time, <laughs> they went in, they looked right. around, they went, like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. those guys are giants. They're, they're warriors. They're, they're men of valor. And we are not that. Mm-hmm. And so how are we going to go in? How are we going to do this? this? This is something that's beyond us, like you said, Brandon. And, and so let me ask this. As you face something in your life, because I think we can all kind of pull parallels to this, right? There are things in our lives that we encounter that are overwhelming to us. What does God's command to not fear and to yeah. not be afraid, what, what does that speak to maybe a situation you're going through? Maybe Do you have a story that you could share that? Well, if I'm honest, I'm not great at it. Um, I'm naturally bent towards fear in a lot of ways. So my natural emotional response to most situations, if you know the Enneagram, I'm a six. And that is our gut reaction to most situations. So anything that seems beyond me, my initial reaction is that. And I would say that's sometimes every day, you know, sometimes <laughs> weekly that sure, I'm encountering yeah. something and I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't want to do this. You know, right. I don't want to step into this scenario. I don't, the biggest fear is I don't know the outcome. So sure. similar to the Israelites, I don't know the outcome of how this situation is going to go. Mm-hmm. I feel very unprepared. And so that, that happens in ministry a lot for me is I'll go to meetings that are tough for me or I'll experience uh, maybe teaching on a Sunday or preparing for something that just feels beyond me. And, uh, and so oftentimes, you know, I go into it with that initial fear response. How do you, how do you overcome that? Or how have you <laughs> overcome that? Like in, cause you, you have, yeah. you have made a lot of steps to overcome those things. So how does this promise of, of, I will be with you. How does that play out in your life? Lee? 
Consistent time with God matters. As long as I know his truths, um, I think those are the things that can drive me into situations that I do feel overwhelmed in. Uh, but if I'm not spending time, consistent time with God, and I don't know the relationship, I'm not trusting him in that. I think taking small steps as well, you know, doing things as they'll discover too, the idea of God proving himself faithful in times past. Right. I look back to those moments and, I, and you know, and I, we'll talk a little about it later, but the role of the priest was to do those very things, remind the people of what God had already done. And so I have to do that often, <laughs> yeah. you know, to trust in God and to step into those situations. 100%. Michael, do you have any uh, any examples in your life like uh, that you've seen sure. this kind of play out? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I became an adult, I remember when I realized that adults don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they're winging it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're a kid, adults are so absolute, you know, your parents mm-hmm. are so absolute, and if they say something, they're, they're just being honest, and that's the truth, because, like, why would they lie? You know, they're your parents. Then you become an adult, and you realize there are things that are, like, nuanced, and their opinions and then you realize oh everyone's just making everything up nobody knows i remember one time <laughs> i was sitting in in the office at my <clears throat> at my last job in san diego at a church i was working out there and i remember my friend jordan super cool guy he's a he's a lead pastor in alabama now um but <laughs> the, the the cfo of the church came in and asked him a question asked him to create something i think it was something with their website he was like yeah yeah i can do that no problem and then the CFO left, and I was like, you know how to do, where'd you learn how to do that? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, why'd you say yes? He's like, because I'm smart and I have Google. <laughs> and he's like, and I'll figure it out. That was just another moment. I was super young. He was at another stage in life. He was like a director of the church. I was, I may have been an intern. I don't even know if I was really working there yet. Um, but I remember realizing like, oh, we're all just making this up. That's a big part of it. And, and when you really enter adulthood, and all of a sudden things that of difficulty start happening, it can feel super overwhelming. Um, you know, whether it be buying a house and realizing, I remember the first time I had, I left my garden hose attached outside for winter. I didn't know that that is like, why did I, first of all, why did no one tell me that? It feels like one on one step, but it exploded like a pipe in my basement. Hmm. The amount of things like that, where it's just like, you feel unqualified, unequipped of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like the amount of times I don't feel equipped to be a dad. I don't feel equipped well, to be a good yeah. husband. I don't feel equipped to be a good homeowner. I don't feel equipped to be a good pastor. Um, just because we don't know everything. We don't have the absolute understanding. And the older I get, the more I understand that, like, I look at good pastors and good husbands and good human beings that I would consider role models and look up to them. And I ask, like, okay, well, what do they have? And the the consistent thing I always see is people who are arrogant, not in themselves, but the Spirit of God inside of them. They're so confident in the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the nonstop submission to Him. Mm that it's almost eliminates that burden of feeling like we, I don't know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. feeling unequipped to go to battle and say, Oh, I'm not qualified. Mm-hmm. If you're so confident that you're submitting to the Holy spirit, how did Andy Stanley say something like that? Once when he planted his church, he said like, I just knew when something got crazy, I was like, God, this was your idea. Yeah, like I didn't right. ask to sure, do this. Yeah. This is what you told me to right. do. That's like the posture I've just had to take because I've realized it doesn't matter how much I learn. It doesn't matter how much I research. I will be confronted with things that I'm unqualified for period. doesn't matter all the time, all consistently. The time, yeah. So if I can just rather than try to rely on my own conventional wisdom and education and try to learn as much stuff to be prepared, if I can just focus on relying on the Holy Spirit and submitting to him, life is still hard, really scary and challenging, but there's, I think there's a supernatural peace that comes with that. Yeah. And and, and that is the story of Caleb and Joshua. Mm -hmm. So that story I told earlier where the spies went in, they, they said there's giants in the land and they come back and they, they create fear for the people because I mean, God, Moses even says it here don't be a faint heart because what right. did it do it spread throughout the camp everybody was terrified to go in and be obedient to god where caleb and joshua responded differently they right. said god told us 
they saw the same exact things, but they said, God told us that we were going to do this. Mm-hmm. We don't understand. It seems overwhelming to us. We, they were not, I don't, I don't think they were warriors either, but it said that there was a different spirit about them. Yeah. And even what you were just mentioning, they were able to tap into that, that, that voice of the spirit in their right. lives. They were able right. to respond out of that. Um, and, and it even goes on. I think it's the coolest story is they, it, it says that because they had a different spirit in them, that they never grew old, that they were running circles as 80 year old <laughs> yeah, men wild. around the young warriors mm-hmm. because the spirit of God was leading them. The spirit yeah, of God was equipping them for every, um, every, every thing that they were going to face up against. And you see it in the book of Joshua. Joshua's like, what do I do here? And, mm-hmm. he, and he just keeps going back to God and God's like, if you will follow me and be yeah, obedient, absolutely. like we'll take care of this. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's move on to verse five here. Then the officer shall speak to the people saying, is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy his, its fruit. And is there any man who has betrothed the wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then the commander shall be appointed to the head of the people. So what we see here is really kind of the guidelines for for recruiting for the the army. And he's saying, Mm -hmm. if there's any man or any it would have only been males at this point i, I don't think they would have would have allowed uh, females to fight though that's a different thing from our culture um any man that, that that is afraid any man that has a new house a new vineyard like pretty much any reason that that you would have that would make you hesitant to go into battle go home enjoy those things <laughs> yeah stay at home and 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 mostly for the the uh, kind of what we already talked about that that if there's faint-heartedness or there's kind yeah. of like there's kind of this wishy-washy i don't want to be here kind of thing sure it it, it, it kind of infects the rest of the camp mm-hmm. yeah spreads like wildfire i yeah. also think there's a lot of practical wisdom there of just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's no guarantees that all these people are going to come back the guarantee is that they will win and succeed doesn't mean that all of them are going to make it that's right. the harsh reality yeah and that's one of my favorite things about reading the bible because it is it's optimistic in the sense that we know that god is awesome but it's also very realistic of like yeah. yep not everything's going to go that great for everybody so it just feels like this out of like, if you haven't gotten to do this stuff, you might not. So go, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So, so just a side note. So like, I don't know if you guys are this way, but at, when we watch like superhero movies or yeah. action movies or whatever you, you see, or these war movies, you see the hero always like survive and you celebrate and like everybody yeah. walks out of these movies feeling good. What about the, the guy in the front row, <laughs> the front row that Homie didn't, didn't come, make it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The battle was won, but yeah. there was a whole lot of people yeah. that didn't. Yeah. So. He's got a whole backstory too. He just, we just don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that, but I just, I do love the practical nature of that because it did feel like, I think that's what separates putting faith in God versus the prosperity gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do I believe that, that, that God has the best intent and that his will will come to pass. Certainly. Does that mean that my life will be easy, good, or even what I had planned? No. Right. And I think that having sobering things like that and even understanding like the practical side of this is, is, is a wake up call in that sense of like, yeah, God promises victory, but it doesn't mean that your life is going to necessarily get instantly better. Um, it means that his plan will come to pass and that plan is better than my plan. Um, yeah. I love that it points to, to the heart, the heart of God, you know, the heart that he does genuinely yeah. care about the quality of life that, 
not only his nation was going to experience, but that we're going to experience, and that those things mattered. Because you would think a God who's militant and wants to just destroy would be the exact opposite. Like, don't you go back home. Like, this is the focus right now. Mm -hmm. But he says the opposite. You know, even for the faint-hearted, I mean, I was thinking, like, how embarrassing it would be when you're walking back with your head of shame. You know, holding your head of shame. Someone's like, hey, you got to go do vineyard stuff? It's like, nah, just really, (laughs) really afraid. I'm really scared right now. Yeah, exactly. But I love that it points to that God cares about his people. Sure, Um, sure. And even though there is risk involved, even though there is that side of it and understanding that, that truly, you know, God wanted them to even ultimately enjoy the things that he had was going to provide for them. You yeah, know? super good. Yeah, and, and, and I think, too, I think about the story of Gideon here because mm-hmm. this is what God does with the story of Gideon. He, yeah. he essentially winnows down the army to just a core <laughs> group of, of guys who are going to go, and they don't even fight. Like, yeah. Gideon's victory is he, he walks up on a mountain, breaks some jars, and yells really loud. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like— the point being that it wasn't in in Israel's military might. Correct. It wasn't in their their numbers that would make them victorious or or um, or successful in these these battles. It was that the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, the God who sustained them through the wilderness, would be the God who would give them the promised land. Yeah. And 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 so um, this this constant drive back to I'm going to be the one who provides for you I'm going to be the one who fights for you I'm going to be the one who mm-hmm. um, sustain you, sustains you in every way and and I think this is just another example of you can be dependent on me and you can you can have that freedom that if you're scared you can go home right you can have that freedom that if you're newly married you can go home or not yet married but you're betrothed you know what I mean mm-hmm. like right. you want to experience this in life go home because right. why because it's it's faithfulness and obedience to God that, that yeah. really is going to win the victory in, right. in this. Well, and I think that should teach us much about how we value things. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, I think that our default, and I'm not saying this is bad, but our default reaction to life is preparation and like, man, at least for some people, you know, for me, I want to make sure my finances are buttoned up. I want to make sure I'm doing the things that I need to do to be successful. And not that those things are bad or wicked or evil, or in their case, like military preparation. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but the reality is that more important than all those things is obedience because that is what will actually bring you the victory that God promised. Right. You can prepare all day, but if you're not going to be obedient, that then there's no guarantee, you know, and that's where in my everyday life, in my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my job, obedience has to be the number one priority, you know, not to say the other things can't be priorities too, but you better believe obedience will be the thing that brings me into what God promised. And it's what accomplishes God's, God's path and God's will. His will and, yeah. and like, I mean, I don't know if this was just the the '90s, like Christian era, like or t- early 2000s, whatever. But the whole concept of like you got to do big things for God, you got to mm-hmm. do like there. Sure. That was a constant thing. Like when we were coming out of youth group, early college days, it was yeah. like, what are you gonna be? What are you gonna do? Very daunting. Like, yeah, are you gonna be the, the the musician? Like how how are you gonna draw a big crowd to mm-hmm. to to make all this influence for God? And that was the constant like message. And, and something that God is, has taught me, God continues to teach me because that, that's a still a, a constant journey message in the back of my head is what you just said. It, it's the only thing that matters. Yeah. The only way that God's mission is accomplished. The only thing that, that really brings about the will of God is, is by us just saying yes to God. Yeah, amen. Yeah. So super good. Um, let's pick up in verse 10. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you but makes war against you, then you shall, shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives into your hand 
excuse me, and when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all the males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoils, you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of the nations here. So first, we're going to see two distinctions. He's going to go on to talk about more rules of war here in just a second. But he, in verse 15, gives a distinction. These are all the cities that would have been far from nations. So this would have been kind of the implication that all of the cities that they would come up against and um, they, they would actually travel through on the path to the promised land. This is not in the promised land. This is all the nations and the cities outside of the promised land. And, and so he says, when you come near to it, offer them terms of peace. If they don't take the peace, and, and we see many of those stories where some of the nations rose up against them and God defeated them, you know what I mean? Um, we saw that early in Deuteronomy, but here he's talking about um, what to do and, and how to wage war when it's not one of the cities that we're gonna, that are in the promised land. Mm-hmm. The, these are all, they're, they're soon to be neighbors of Israel, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. And so he, treat the, he treats them a little bit differently than what he's going to tell them for the nations that are actually in the promised land. Yeah. Um, but still, it, it's kind of hard. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest. It's kind of hard to read what God c- allows, I should say it that way, God, what God allows and affords for in, in war. I mean, he's, he's allowing them to, to make war, to take yeah. women and children, to be, sl- uh, to be slaves, to be servants, um, to pretty much win the spoil of war. And I would say that's mostly, it, it's, it's odd to me because we are not a culture who experiences war firsthand. We're not a culture who, who um, this was a yearly thing for, for these nations. They yeah. would go out and they would go to war every year and, and they would conquer lands and, and lose lands and they would be attacked. And so this kind of mindset is kind of foreign to us. How do we appropriate, and, and uh, let me ask it this way, how would we, how do we take this into our culture, this idea that, that God is fighting for them? It's it, almost an us versus them, and, and mm-hmm. there's this mentality. How, how, do we, how do we reconcile that with where we are today and what we know about God revealed to us through, through Jesus? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, you know, I think that something you mentioned earlier is that we need to view all Scripture as complete. You know, so sure. I don't. I don't want to look at this and disqualify it and say, "Oh, that was then." I, man, I just think that's that's always a little bit lazy. You know what I mean? The yeah. reality of like, well, that's just applied to them. God's different now. Well, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? I think that God yeah. is ever consistent, um, never changing. However, I do think the way that He relates to His people changes because we change culturally. We change, and I think mm-hmm. we see that time and time again when we read the Word of God. Whether it be, you know, if I read through Leviticus and look at this dramatic list of Levitican laws, I'm like, man, that just does not really apply to me. And it's not because God's value system changed. It's because the needs of his people have changed because we as humans are ever changing, if that makes sense. So when I read a passage like that that's confusing or even concerning, like, man, how do I apply that to my life? I try to think about the the value and the principle. And for that, what it seems like, whatever wisdom that he was imparting on them, saying, hey, you're going to have to... You're going to have to destroy the men. I have to think that there's wisdom behind it because we serve a God of wisdom. We serve a God of justice. So I have to assume that when, when that's said, it's because, okay, you got to kill the men so they don't come back and try to, and try to fight you, that he's trying to protect his people. Um, I have to assume that, that in God's you know, great love and his care for all people, that he's seeing things from a much higher view than we are. And even though it doesn't make sense, I have to assume that the value system is consistent and that's still love and care for his people. Sure. Um, 
what why it practically looks the way that it does at times i don't know that we'll ever know because you know i mean something that you you taught me pastor chris is the bible is written uh, for us and not to us. Right. You know, the Bible yeah. is written for us to learn and for us to grow and for us to learn about the character of God and then how to operate as a person in the design in the way that God made us. That being said, this specific, this these letters that Moses wrote are not are not to me. You mm-hmm. know, they're for the Israelites. You know right. what I mean? That's that, you know, or they're, they're to the Israelites. I get the benefit of looking at it and trying to glean wisdom from it and applying it in my life. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's the best thing that we can do sometimes. And the other thing I'll say, and I'm going to talk, and we'll probably talk about it again here in a second when, when things get a little bit more you know, aggressive, I have to assume that God's plan is better than mine always. Yeah. I just have to believe that. Even yeah. if it's really weird, even if it's really complicated, even if it means things that I don't quite understand, because he has such a higher view and, and you know, a 30,000 foot view where mine is just so very right now in the here and now, I have to assume mm-hmm. that it's all part of his perfect plan. You sure. Know? And, and that is really a, a mentality of, we we just have to say it like the the way that our culture thinks the way that that we think as 21st century americans is different than the the biblical um values of of culture like the the biblical thoughts in that what you said is that that we have to trust that god is consistent in his character even though we see like israel's a nation mm-hmm. so they're going to be at war we we are we are not a nation, and this this doesn't pertain to, the, and doesn't give. I, I don't think even like fair game for s- setting the rules of war. Though I think they're gracious. I think they're like mm-hmm. I, this set of rules. I think is is even limiting to to Israel in in certain ways that they, sure. they just can't go in and do whatever they want to do. <laughs> right. Um. But it, like it doesn't apply to even us as Americans because this is the civil. W- law for or the civil rule for um for israel yeah but like you said the principles of god is just god is good god is yeah. uh, god is kind and, and you see that tension throughout all scripture that that there are those who rebel and and this these essentially would be people who would re- rebel against the people of god and I, against god yeah you have to think that god from that thirty thousand foot view that he knows that if this doesn't happen, the right. consequences are dire. Right, right. And you know what I mean? And that's just so harsh, but the reality is that God God has given us free will, and with that free will comes consequences of that free will. God knowing what those consequences are going to be says things like this, because he knows exactly, well, if we if you don't, here's the alternative. Yeah. And I just have to believe that God's faithful to that, that it's not some like weird Machiavellian, just like him telling people what to do because he thinks it's funny. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. think that of God. I it's, think and that's not consistent of his character. Not at all. Else, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. We were talking about this in the office yesterday because this kind of similar question got asked in the office and we were just processing through it. And I was thinking specifically about a nation that was led by God and mm. not to say that or a people that is led by God in essence, you know. And so it's the things that God would ask them to do were clearly orchestrated and, and led by him, you know, and so they were asking, like, is all war good? Is all war fair? You know, is it, you know, what is good war versus a bad war? And I would say the the measurement is always, is God for it or is God leading us to do it? You know, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so tricky to figure that out in this day and age, yeah. you know. Are we doing it for our nation? Or are we doing it for sure. God? Is God leading those specific things? And right. and trying to figure out what that difference in our brains is, is is challenging. And the reality is, is God whether God leads it or like God, God uses it. Like that, that's something that's that's something that's clear throughout all of Scripture is that that God does have view of of the nations. He does have mm-hmm. view of the plans of the nations. And he understands like mm-hmm. the the inner workings and whether it is 
a and, and I think a lot of us want, we want to say this is sanctioned by God or mm-hmm. this is not sanctioned by God. The reality is, is is that every human act in history has been used by God to to sure. bring about His His sovereign plan. Like, sure. Yeah, totally. and that's hard for us to reconcile because our choices they matter, yeah, and yet at the absolutely. same time, God uses those choices. And and I'm actually um, I, I'm not sure when this podcast I've already taught it, but um, you see this that. The, the King Rehoboam, it says that the mm-hmm. what he chose came to pass and it brought about the will of God. Right. But he still made a poor decision. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, so like there is this constant tension of like, this is sovereign. And this is what God wants us to do within that sovereign will. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. tricky. It's no, that, no, that's super good. And I also think something to keep in mind is that like we are reading this, we're reading this passage with a dramatically different cultural view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm an American citizen. I, my whole life, have had something called separation of church and state. Yeah. You know, you can, there's an interesting conversation to be had of like, is America found, found on, you know, Christian Judeo values? It's a really fascinating conversation. Not one that I want to have right now, though. So, but. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm not prepared for that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not either. But, but, but what I know today is that we have separation of church and state, that the church doesn't get to dictate state law. So I can't say like, well, I think we should legislate morality. Like, I don't think, I think gossip should be illegal because the Bible says right. it's illegal. That's not how America works. You know, the church doesn't, um, and I think there's wisdom in that because if like another, everyone always kind of thinks that their team's going to be in charge forever. Let's yeah. say if a president were to take office, it's not a Christian. They start making, you know, gets really messy, right? So separation church and state. That doesn't exist here. You know what I mean? The right. church is the state. Their yeah. entire government structure is based on God and what he has to say. Right. Very different. So when we even think about, well, how would that apply to me as an American citizen? Kind of doesn't. You know what I mean? Because I'm in a really different space where my government system is separate than this. So if my government is off fighting a war, I would never be able to confidently say, like, well, because God told him. Maybe. (laughs) You know what I mean? Maybe. But we don't elect people according to – I mean, you can vote with how you want, but we don't – elect people according to their Christian value or ethic usually. It's about their political opinions and thoughts and ideas. So for me, I always have to remind myself too that this is different. You know what I mean? Again, it's written for us for us to like learn from it and understand value points, but never underestimate the fact that you are not reading the Bible in the way you're reading the Bible as an American Christian. They're, They're hearing these words from Moses as an Israelite whose government and their, and their spirituality and their nationality all are identical. All in the eve of battle. <laughs> all on the eve of battle, 100%. Yeah. Very different. So um, so I don't, I don't say that as a cop-out. I'm just like, oh, it doesn't apply. Ignore right. it. No, no, no. Read it and pay attention to it and try to understand the value behind it. But also, like, make no mistake, you your life looks different than this. Yeah. You know? And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, again, we are talking about things, and, and it's about to get a, even a little bit more <laughs> intense. It's crazier, here. yeah. Um, a, a little bit more intense. But just we just always need to keep that in mind, yeah. that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, and at the same time, um, at the same time, we are looking at there are cultural differences in the in the world that they're experiencing versus us, and there are still truths that God wants to teach us through these things. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, let's move on to verse sixteen. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God has given you for inheritance, so the promised land, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction: the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so, and so you sin against the Lord your God. All right, so got a couple different (laughs) thoughts and insights (laughs) in in this here. So first and foremost, what we get here is this picture that, um, and, and 
the word I think that's the, the the Hebrew word for this is cherem. So you, you kind of get some spit in your throat, <laughs> and then and then say it. So, but it's this idea of holy war. It was yeah. an idea that was pretty common at this time. Is that the the gods would at times? It was not always. We already saw that God is restrictive mm-hmm. in His commands of war in certain circumstances. But in these circumstances, um, it, it was a total dedication of of these people of this right. land over to God and that's essentially what it was what he was calling for um, and, and he gives a reason he says so that you do not adopt the abominable practices that they have done to their gods and and we know this as a fact that Israel does not come does not obey this they, mm-hmm. they, they whether you would say that's good or that's bad um, they do not complete it um, and and what ends up happening is they fight idolatry for the entirety yep, of their being. 100%. And and so what we have here is is again whether for good or for bad and and we we're, we're going to talk about the moral judgment of it here in just a second but what you have is this this idea that God wants to protect his people from the worst thing that could possibly happen to them and that is separation from him. Yep. Pastor Matthew has taught this numerous times that that we view suffering and the loss of life as probably the most tragic thing that can happen to us. And, and, and that is, those are tragic things, and sure. God values those things. More so, God values a life that's dedicated to Him and yeah. a life that follows after Him. And, and that is what God is, is valuing as highest, I would say, here. Yeah. And in that the worst thing that can happen is that God's people would abandon, um, abandon their dependence, their relationship with yeah. Him. And it would bring destruction not just on them, but on all the nations around them, because they were to be the one. They were to be the ones that would would demonstrate for the rest of the world who God was. And so, right. um, this is this is a difficult thing, and it, it, yeah, it creates sure. a lot of tension. So, yeah, you know, for me, I, I think luckily the answer is kind of in there. It literally says, "So that you don't adopt their practices, so that yeah. you don't fall in the same trap." Uh, makes it a little easier to talk about because we know the reasoning why, right? right? The complicated part is exactly what you said. We view death, destruction, brokenness, suffering in general as very absolute in the worst case scenario. The reality is, from God's perspective, what it seems to be in this moment is the worst case scenario is these people don't die. They make many more generations of people who not only will be eternally separated from God, but will persecute those who will not be eternally separated from God. So from God's perspective, I've just come to a point where I have to realize even something that feels so crazy, I just have to look at his generosity and say, well, it's because God loved his people enough and he loved like the future of their people enough to know that this is not going to be in my plan. You know, you know uh, we could talk about, we, we've had a billion conversations about Calvinism and about, you know, predestination, yeah. but here, but here's what I can say very confidently. Um, God knows what's going to happen, yeah. you know, whether, um, <laughs> whether he's the one who like enacts that or not, or whether it's free will, whether he knows the free will or whether he's just, you know, kind of telling the story with it. That's a, con- that's a different conversation. But we, but God knew exactly who these people would become and who their children would become and who their grandchildren would become. And I think through his generosity, he thought, I'd rather you not, I'd rather them not have to be eternally separated. I'd rather um, you not be persecuted. And I, and I have to think that that's just wisdom from God. And that's so tough because I think sometimes when, when terrible things happen, it's like the economy of suffering. When bad things happen, I, I hear it all the time. Like, why would God, you know, why would God do that? Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God make this happen? Why would he ask for that to happen? And I think a lot of times we, we're asking the wrong question when we say, why would God? I think the correct question is, you know, 
or the correct way to phrase it is my sin has led to this level of brokenness. Why would God give me any semblance of an oppor- opportunity right. for mm-hmm. grace? Right. I think sometimes we need to reframe our brain to truly understand suffering. The fact that I have the privilege to suffer is just the generosity of God. Right. The fact that I have an opportunity to sit with him forever is generosity. We view pain exactly as you said, so absolute. We view mm-hmm. suffering as so absolute. The reality is pain and suffering are a consequence to sin. But the fact that we have the opportunity to sit with Jesus forever, that's generosity. You know what I mean? And it's the path out of pain and suffering. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for me, things as harsh as this and as violent as this, I just have to remind myself, there are consequences to the fall of man. There are consequences to sin and brokenness. But I still have the opportunity to sit with Jesus forever. And that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think of the story that that Jesus taught when he was talking specifically about how he approached sin in our lives. And it was not to, to the degree of, you know, the things that we read maybe in Deuteronomy, but it was a kind of similar concept of if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know mm. I mean? If your eye yeah, causes you, you know, to sin, he was talking about the degree that you need to go to take sin seriously in your life, you mm-hmm. know, and the same thing similar to this, that if sin were to continue to exist beyond the Israelites' sin, their own personal sin, if there were going to be influences in their life that were going to continue to keep them in that cycle of sin and pull them away from God, they needed to do something extreme in order to try and create an environment that was going to give them prosperity in their relationship with God. So I think Jesus taught a very similar concept in, in the thought of mm-hmm. take it seriously, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think, and here's where I would say most people would say, well, Jesus, isn't Jesus more gracious than what we see here? I would say no, because it's it, he is manifesting who God fully is. Yeah. So the grace that Jesus manifests is fully God. Mm-hmm. But we often neglect the justice and the level of, even with Jesus, there is still a matter of, like, if you're not willing to subject yourself and put your faith and put your trust in Jesus, there is judgment. There is yeah. a level yeah. of of removal and Jesus does not change that. Right. Even Jesus doesn't remove that as a principle. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. There's there's always and and I know we don't like in our culture that this idea of us versus them doesn't God love everybody? Well, well yes, because and I was thinking about this this morning as I was just kind of just processing talking about this knowing that we were going to be talking about it today. I was thinking about this and and the reality is at any point in time, at any point in time, God would accept someone the, the most vile sinner that that decided that the life that they had lived the path that they had taken was wrong and that his path was right and right. that a relationship with him was bad. i mean like think of the worst possible person that you can possibly think of yeah. yeah god's heart towards them would be to accept them now in that same token if that person never does they forever stand as an enemy to God and to his people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so even though God would invite them in and God would have them come in, yeah. like, and, and, right. and the, the thing that we miss in this, and it, because it's clear back in Genesis, is the fact that, that what was God doing in their culture and in their midst in this time to give them, to, to give them opportunity mm-hmm. to, to find life and, and justice in him? Sure, because... Yeah. Because you you see him him tell Abraham the the fullness of their sin has not been um, uh, compiled yet I guess is the way the best right. way to, to to say it but um, yeah and we see God extend that grace to people outside of the Israelites often throughout the Old Testament right you know, so it's not like this like crazy 
well, God had his special team, and he's right. like, go kill everybody else. No, right. the reality is that we don't know what all God is doing at any given moment, and Correct. I certainly wouldn't be so yeah. arrogant to think yeah. that now or then. Right. The Bible is not an exhaustive resource right. list of everything that God has ever done. Right. You know, we, we have what we need, you know, and that's great. Right. But we don't know what God had done already in those in those places with the Canaanites and with the Hittites and the Amorites. We don't, we don't know exactly what's going on. What we know is that for him to make this declaration, it means that, again, God— knowing the ending of the story, understood that this is what I have for you because this is what's best for you. And, and even with his love and generosity, I think it would be best for them as well, knowing that it's not going to be generations of people who would never choose him. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Again, guys, th- this is <laughs> super hard. It's super so hard. hard. It's complicated yeah. things because you get into, and, and there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of books written on these topics and mm-hmm. on um, uh, these commands to, to wipe out the entirety of the nation's um, if, if you're looking, uh, you know what, I was going to try to have that resource li- with me. Um, I'm going to put some resources in the show notes that, that you can read that give you some different theories. I don't think any theory has like a, a perfect answer to it. Sure. Um, where, where we've talked about it today, it's kind of how, I, how, how I've kind of thought about it in right. my mind. We're probably so, the closest to the perfect theory. I yeah, think. Yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, so if you listen to this, you're now an expert. Consider- <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Don't <laughs> take that seriously. We're joking. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll put in the show notes just some different resources that you can look into this, these things Super further. Good. So. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to close this off with uh, the last two verses, and it is the most random thing that (laughs) (laughs) so when you beseech a city for a long time making war against it in order to take it you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them you may eat from them but you shall not cut them down are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you Hmm. until it falls all right. The end. Yeah. <laughs> so all these rules about who who's to be destroyed. And, 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 and so what we see here is this these commands to protect the, the trees that would bear fruit and, and these trees that would essentially be food. And, and, and I, I, I know we've kind of said this is different. This is weird. It seems weird in context to the verses prior to it. Yeah. But we can see in it a level of graciousness by God, yeah. not in the protection of nature, the value of nature over hum- human life, that, but the value of human life because it was a food source. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's practical it, wisdom. Yeah, it was yeah. to be a food source for Israel, but mm-hmm. it was also to be a food source for those who would be left. And yeah, so, absolutely. Um, though it seems weird. No, yeah, that's one of my favorite things about the Old Testament in general. When you really read through all these bizarre laws and like what is the goal what are we talking about <laughs> yeah. i think it's no coincidence that the israelites when following them were were profoundly successful and to this day you look at people who still follow those laws and in different people groups whether they be you know you know american jewish people whatever the case might be you're talking about really successful groups of people i think it's because it's discipline like god gave them really specific things do you want to be successful don't cut your food down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's just God. It, it does feel so bizarre yeah. coming off of that. But the reality yeah. is that like, you know, it's just practical wisdom of like, Hey, I love you enough. Like here's an, just also though this thing, like yeah. don't cut down this cause you're going to need it one day. You want to be able to feed other people and be able to feed yourselves. 
it's just a, this little reminder that God does want success for his people. God right. does want prosperity for his people. God does. He wants us to be taken care of. Well, it feels kind of out of place it, at the same time. It doesn't feel out of place at all. It's just another moment of God's care for his people. Yeah. yeah. And war is so destructive in general. You know, I mean, modern right. day war is extremely destructive, but even thinking back then, he, he talks a little bit about it in the scriptures that they would use specific methods to try and you know, take these cities. You know, they'd cut down these giant trees and they'd slam them into things, you know, that type of mm -hmm. thing. So the fact that God was, you know, aware of that, gave them those tactics, you know, kind of talk them through that. And even also was concerned about their health, was concerned about, you know, whether Super they're going to be eaten or not. Shows such a, a caring heart of God to be concerned for them in the middle of probably a pretty physically demanding, you know, responsibility you know, sure. as they move along. So. Yeah, but I do. It is interesting in scripture that the, these types of things were included in there. But then there's so many <laughs> things that you're like, what? Why yeah. is that missing? Why is it, you yeah. know something else out of there? But that's that's we need to know what, what God wants us to know. So. Sure. Sure. And, and, and what I always take heart in and this uh, when we read passages like this and they kind of what I always take heart in is. Is what God was doing, because God's word was written. We have to remember God's word was written by people in a context yeah. in a certain specific time and so the the world around them did not have limitations on war in the same way yeah. that they, they didn't have laws that valued the things that god valued in the same way that right. god valued them mm -hmm. um if you read we're and, and i believe we're getting into some even more weird laws as we continue to go here through deuteronomy what we can notice and what we're what we should notice is that though there are some weird things are there, there's some things that i would say are different than what what we value in our culture um and, or and i should say that we value them differently than than the way that the biblical witness values them we have to remember that that in this culture god is consistently elevating the value of human life the value of of of, of those who would find blessing and peace in, in yeah. his people so um, we see it. He elevates the value of women in certain ways, adds protections for them. Yeah. Um, we see it in, in, in just all the different things that, that he says in some way or another elevates the value of, of human life. And I think yeah. it, it stands in, in, in tension with the, the things like harem and, and the, the total destruction. Right. But at the same time, God, it, it, my favorite passage of the Old Testament is, is God is gracious, slow to anger. Uh, full of mercy and abounding in steadfast love to the thousandth generation mm. and visiting iniquity up upon the sons to the third and fourth generation. And, and, and so mm. you get this picture of God is, God is just and God will call to call to, to demand those that, that would rebel against him and reject him. And, but the comparison of the two, the thousandth generation versus the third and fourth generation, mm -hmm. like that is meant to make a statement of God is far more gracious, kind, loving, and compassionate hmm. than than He is um, this. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well said. So, guys, do you have any more closing thoughts? I, I realize I kind of talked a lot there. No, that was well no, said. Good, good stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, great. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me, and we hope that you join us next week as we jump into Deuteronomy chapter 21. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Here's what I would ask. If you have any questions about what we talked about today in, in today's podcast, 
please take the time to email me at info at the tree.church. I would love to answer any questions you may have, uh, any concerns that you that, that kind of came up, or if we didn't cover something that, that you wanted us to cover in the podcast, we would love to, to get those answers to you or our responses the best we're able. Um, also want to take a minute and ask that you would share this with a friend. If you're finding these beneficial and that, that they're useful for your faith, for your life, and they're helpful for understanding what God has to say through his his word. I would love it if you took the opportunity to share this. You can do so on, through Spotify. You can do so through Apple Podcasts or, uh, or Anchor, wherever you, or wherever you find your podcasts. So thanks so much for joining us today, and we pray that you have a great week and that you'll join us again next week.